You're listening to us, Unscripted Stories, brought to you by Northwestern University's Multicultural Student Affairs. We are recording at the traditional homelands of the people of the Council of Three Fires, the Ojibwe, Potawatomi, and Adawa, as well as the Menominee, Miami, and Ho-Chunk Nations. Welcome everyone, my name is Saeed and today we are joined over Zoom by Upasna Bharath and Aham Dulang who will share a story about identifying as both queer and Apita. Hi everyone, it's Upasna. This is the second episode in the Apita Heritage Month series. Our last episode was with Chloe Wong, we talked about Mitski and today I have Aham with me and I'm so excited to talk about queerness. Hi, my name is Aham Delang, and I'm graduating during the pandemic, and I am very excited to talk with Upasna about queerness and Apita. Uh, my pronouns are they, them, and I'm excited to get it popping. Let's go. Okay, so I guess what I want to talk to you about first is your background, Um and I know that's a really vague question, but when I asked you that question, what about your life or your identity is salient to you? When I was born, there is an alleged story that my mom and my dad both thought I was going to be a boy. Apparently, it showed up that way. The x-rays, well, you can't x-ray when you get pregnant. Um, the ultrasounds, and I came out. And I was a girl with a full head of hair and my parents had a lot of voice clothes ready for me and they had to pierce my ears, very typical Daisy things. And um, I went through a lot of my baby life growing up, alternating between really girly clothes and really boy clothes. And I think my dad was really expecting a son. So there were a lot of things that they just let me do. Um, that are identified with being masculine. Um, I grew up predominantly with men and there were no women my age in my ethnic enclave. And I remember the first time the boys started going through puberty and they were talking about boobs and all of these other things. And I was like, what do I think about all of this? And it just like hit me because boys are so verbal about their pubescent process. And I think that I realized there were a lot of ways that my actual physical body wasn't going through changes um, to a lot of cis women that were my age um, at the time. And I think during college and most recently during the last year in 2019, and this kind of came to a point where I realized I'm just very, very fluid and especially hanging around a lot of um, trans women in the communities I inhabit and also that are my friends. I realized I don't really identify with a lot of womanness in the same way that they do. Um, and so that's on, and on top of that, everyone kind of like, assuming they then pronounce for me all the time or just messing pronouns up regardless of what they look like. And I recently got more comfortable being in the Apita community as well. I think that's because of Upasna. We have so much in common and it just felt so comfortable and so safe. 
And I just, over the last year, I was like, I feel like I can really do all of it together and be whole and present. That is the sweetest thing anyone has ever said to me, actually. (laughs) Because, and I say that because, and it, it makes me so happy to hear that, honestly. And I say that because I have always felt a discomfort in the APIDA community, specifically in the Desi community, being queer, coming from a background that's atypical to what we see um, in the Desi community, you know, coming, there's a lot of privilege in the Desi community, socioeconomically, a lot of um, gender bias, um, and a lot of, you know, subjugation of women. And so that's why I've always felt disconnected from it. So like hearing that I have, you know, maybe helped someone gain affinity towards it, just in comfort, makes me just so happy because that's something I've also never had. Um, I want to kind of go back to what you said about defining womanness and how trans women in the communities you inhabit, but also like your friends, how their definition of womanness is different from yours. What would you say your definition of womanness is? When I think about womanness, I I immediately think about feminine energy that can come across a lot like care, warmth, a lot of, I identify a lot of sensation with womanness um, and femininity. I know a lot of people experience um, body dysmorphia um, when it comes time to like getting your period, growing breasts, when it even when it came time to like getting my period i just remember being like okay is this going to make me feel like a woman or like a girl and i just felt like it was something that my body did but had no correlation to me feeling any way like that um and i definitely think it is very very energetic cuz i know in my past experience with like a different men that i've known in a couple of minutes into our introduction or anything like that, they're very quick to point out that something is like different about my energy. I actually had a student one time um, that was, they wanted to see if they wanted to come to Northwestern and he like walked in and I didn't say anything. And I, mind you, I was sitting in pink short shorts, a purple top, my hair was like a lot longer than it is now and I'm you know sitting on cute whatever on this little couch in the old black house he was like oh well I just thought like you know like when I saw you I just you know I just assumed that you were just like gay like um and I was like (laughs) what and I was like why and he's like I don't know you just like give off this energy and I was like what energy are you talking about? I, I want. I feel like I want us when we talk about gender to transition more into talking about it in a very energetic sense and understanding the feminine and the masculine a lot more too, and how that really at the end of the day doesn't really matter what you wear because it, it never mattered what I wore for people to know that I wasn't on a binary in any way. Cool. I was actually wanting to shift gears a little bit. So could you talk a little bit about what you're studying and any connections or how you look in the, I guess, in the realm 
academic realm or professional realm that you're interested in, how you show up and how others perceive you? So when I came to Northwestern, I um, wanted to do pre-med, went into my first chem class, realized that didn't align with me. And I really, really liked journalism classes. So I went into journalism. I think that journalism is a very masculine based place a lot of like newsrooms used to be just a lot of cis white men smoking cigarettes and yelling and needing to get the story in no matter what um and it definitely requires it sorry it has a history of a very hyper masculine presence um i think i would like to use the term machismo to describe it because i feel like machismo describes this hypermasculinity very well because I never really thought about queerness or my gender identity and like the spaces that I've gravitated towards. Um, Cause I think now media, and as you know, Upasana, like being in films, television, acting requires almost this like, this very masculine presence. I think no matter what gender you identify as that you have to bring in because you have to get things done in a way that I would say protects yourself as well. Um, and you have to have a lot of authority and those things are associated with masculinity. I immediately like gravitate towards the dudes. I like can talk to them very easily. I feel very comfortable with it. And it's also a place where there's like a lot of assertion Wow, Upasa. Yeah, I need to think about that more, but right, I can yeah. see that. Yeah, yeah, no just... worries. But I, I, I hear what you're saying though about having to have, um, or I guess having to exhibit the qualities associated with masculinity in order to survive as someone who is not a cis white man. Um, there has to be a way to even the playing field for us, even if that means putting on a mask and pretending to be something we're not in order to protect ourselves and survive. Um, that's why I feel like I operate in theater spaces and, you know, I was an econ major, so I operated in my classes so differently than I do when I operate with my friends. And like, people will say to me like, oh, possibly you can get along with everyone. And it's like, no, I don't get along with everyone. I just know what I just know what people um, are used to and what they're not used to, specifically people who are my oppressors and what I need to do in order to survive in environments where I will inevitably be sitting in the same room as them and I have to vouch for myself and for what I believe in. And I can't do that unless they think that I um, am on the same level as they am, which they you know inherently don't. So there has to be a way to express myself in a way that they can understand and it's something that's palatable to them because I my, me as a person my existence is not palatable I, we've been talking a lot at MSA about identity development and how college is kind of like a peak time for identity development for students when were you cognizant about your sexuality and when did you start realizing that you know there were a lot of forces pushing against who you were I think it starts with like omission. I think when I started to omit myself from certain conversations was when I started to realize that I was deviating 
from a norm in some way. Definitely in high school, I mean, everything turned off. The most asexual being ever. I feel like it's a very common story in our community. Um, You just do really well at school and you don't do anything else. You don't talk about anything else. You don't participate in anything else. You begin to omit yourself from a lot of spaces. Looking back on it, it it started with a lot of omission and then a lot of like having to acknowledge different forms of like love, care. Now what I would describe as community. When I got into college, it was very similar where it was a lot of like telling me. And it's interesting though, because it wasn't like I was like actively ignoring or not wanting to deal with certain aspects of myself that people were bringing to my attention I just didn't I didn't want to deal with another box right so transitioning into like identifying in like the APITA community I'm half Daisy I'm half black I'm like in this institution where they don't really have a box for like my socioeconomic space um they have a box for me in South Africa in some way so there, you know, I already have a limited number of boxes that I'm already in. I don't know. I feel like also being like the kid of immigrants, you just don't need to, you don't want to like add up to like your marginal. <laughs> you know what would help our situation? Adding another margin. <laughs> so definitely just like, I don't think it was that I was trying to like deny anything more of like, I think when people present things to anyone and it's something I try really hard not to do is like to tell people like what they are as far as like what their identities are because like you don't know if that person has the capacity to deal with that um has the space the room the support the community like great you came you told this person what you think about them and now you're not an active part in their life and they have to deal with this identity that may or may not be true and then do they have the resource to process that, you know, and I I've definitely have done that before when I was like in high school to people and like things like that. And I think coming into college, I really realized the impact of that and was realizing the impact of it on me. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of I, I feel like it was always something that was very resonant. And I think when I just came to college, I think there's so many people that you get to watch and you get to see that feel a lot more comfortable. Um, saying things and using certain words like you learn like 70 new words when you're a freshman like (laughs) I didn't know what cis was I didn't know what I didn't know trans wasn't a verb like (laughs) there were just so many things I didn't know and all of a sudden I'm just like exposed suddenly and it's like okay whoa how does this fit in with me and like everything everyone's been telling me I'm kind of wondering what your place in Northwestern has looked like? I think my economic position put me in a very interesting, was my first and foremost introduction into community at Northwestern. I think we often overlook classism um, and also assume poverty onto a lot of POC that inhabit the space, which is just not true. I actually think I was really blessed when I first came into NU. I was in the bridge program and um, the bridge program quite literally is what it sounds like. It's bridging like the gap for a lot of 
um, students of color um, and low-income students coming into Northwestern. And um, I am not, I'm not, at this current time, I'm not low-income, though. And just, like, for clarification, because that's important to, for me to say. Um, and I, like, had an amazing group of friends. Um, I had very unapologetic friends and I appreciated how transparent they were about like what they came here to do, what was difficult for them and whatnot. And I didn't know if that's also what I wanted. And so I started hanging out with like other groups of people. Um, still in like the POC community and started getting involved in a lot of different things. And I actually found the language for it recently in an interview I was doing um, for a job. And a lot of activism that happens at Northwestern, um, I believe it's called, it's like, it's activism that is organized around current existing issues. And then you can have a type of activism that is, I'm going to use the word aspirational and doesn't organize in response. It organizes in vision. Didn't know that until like four weeks ago that that was like a difference. And I always kind of had issues organizing in space or participating in space um, because I am very big on who are we as a community, as these different identities, like not in a reaction to something else. Like we are not black or daisy because like whiteness exists. Like we are something because we just simply exist as we are. And um, I think I was very idealistic and I didn't have the language and I didn't really bother searching for the language. And I think that was also something that sparked a lot of my personal in, like interpersonal conflict because I never looked for the language and I never looked for things that felt like I never was very I was very passive in what I was coming into and I I guess I want to say that to take a lot of self-accountability because I don't think I'm in a position anymore where I'm trying to look for people or groups or a community that feels like they fit me. I think I'm in a space in my life where I'm like, where am I at? How do I feel? What am I aligning myself with? Where is my confidence? Where is my self-esteem? And if I can find myself and pinpoint myself, I will naturally align in a place to meet other people like me. So I feel like I had a very similar experience to Ahlam, but like for very different reasons, which is really interesting to me. So it's like, like being queer and non-binary and growing up Syrian with my like huge immigrant Syrian family, like raising me collectively almost, but also being white passing, like all of that just made like finding community very difficult and confusing for me because I feel like like I'm white passing enough to be palatable in white spaces but like also a, like different looking or like ethnic 
quote unquote looking enough to be interesting still in white space. But no, I just feel like like the white queer community really like almost gravitated to me for those reasons. And I found I found it hard to find like the like radical queer and POC community that I really wanted because of like both my discomfort with my own non-white I identity and then also because of the people who were trying to surround me and I just didn't know how to like navigate the the discrepancy that was there um but like what honestly what really saved me in that regard was like becoming more comfortable with myself with my queerness specifically with being more comfortable with being non-binary and like being aesthetically queer and visibly queer um and then also definitely like once I became comfortable in those identities for myself, um, the community that I f wanted to be in happened naturally and that I like fell into it almost. That's amazing. It's like, what? it's hard. It's hard not only accepting who you are, but also allowing others to see it. But once you do that, it's like, ooh, everything just kind of falls into place. Well, I'm pretty sure that's all the time we have. Thank you, Ahlam, for taking the time to talk to Saeed and I today and for being so honest and vulnerable and contributing to our PETA Heritage Month series. I appreciate you both so much. Thank you for being here. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Besos. Bye. I appreciate you all. Bye, everyone. Thank you for listening to us on Scripted Stories. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. Support for this podcast is provided by Joe Scaletti, Emma Salen, Sydney Hastings-Smith, Saeed Resco, Alex Mana, Austin Gardner, Rafael Contreras, Juliet Sparza, with support from Vishnu Venagopal, Linda Luck, and Aaron Golden. Subscribe to hear more from us.